0: Because I'm the founder of the company. Realestateagentsitrust.com
1: Ladies and gentlemen. Billy Halliwell and Chris Field. The Church Boys. From the sublime to the ridiculous. But
2: mostly ridiculous. It's to wonderful Sunday I hate these guys Well, Billy, it has been one Well, it's been a week. It's been a week. It has It has been a week, my friend. It has. Um that's one way to put it. It has been a week.
3: Um <laughs> outside of some other completely uh, uh let's just okay outside outside of some really bizarre things uh that have happened, there I, my hot water tank went, my my car was in the shop and needed a new transmission, and you had chub rub. Is that correct?
2: I didn't
3: have... <laughs> <laughs> because from what I understand so this is where you're gonna start, I, huh? I was gonna <laughs> Okay. I understand that you were on a trip to Disney and you had You had early onset chub rub, and it was brought on um, by a fair bit of chafing that was happening from all of the heat and walking at at Disney.
2: I (laughs) (laughs) I was about to say how this this week it's a good thing I was on vacation the week before, but now I'm not so sure i've never even heard the you got me going with chub rub i have no idea. i've never heard that term it's before. when
3: it's almost like your legs are trying to start a fire they're rubbing together they're rubbing it's together like, like fat women wearing,
2: like fat women wearing corduroy you start
3: to change i mean um <laughs> you know did I, wait did i say early onset chub rub something um like, that. like i can't well It's been actually, I have to say, it's been one of the most trying weeks, but a lot of good things. Like, look, look, my transmission was covered by Toyota, which is very nice. Very nice. Um, You know, the hot water tank was eleven hundred dollars, but it's in, and we have hot water,
2: so we can be thankful for that. Now, didn't you? Um, You had didn't you have a hot water tank put in, and then it leaked all over the floor? It. So actually, yes,
3: we had so the old one had to go, right. got a new one, and then the pressure valve was, sh- which is this is what's supposed to do. If there's too much pressure in the tank, it shoots water out of the out of the pressure whatever valve, <laughs> and it was shooting water everywhere. So they had to come, they had to come back, and they had to actually fix another hundred and sixty-five dollar piece on the house, you know, to control the water pressure. But all of that is so done thirteen hundred dollars later. That wasn't something that they did.
2: That was something that was just something they
3: didn't replace the first time. Yeah. And in fact, they think that it might have been what the pressure may have been too much and that might have been what busted the, the other tank was old, but it may oh, have okay. just put it over the edge. So uh-huh. there you go. And but you're chafing. I want to get back to that because <laughs> you were walk. Take me through this. You were walking through Disney <laughs> and this and tragedy struck. Oh, Tell me. No,
2: it wasn't tragedy struck. Now, first, let me let me say we had a great trip to Disneyland. and I have a whole lot of thoughts about the things that I see when I go places, especially God, places, help us. especially places like Disneyland. Uh, here's let me say first thank God for Dr. Bordeaux's butt paste that's all I can say about that have you ever have you ever (laughs) which I use which I use on my 8 month old yes well I've used it on all of my children and myself quite liberally (laughs) (laughs) no the chafing wasn't nearly so bad as as times (laughs) because of the weight loss (laughs) (laughs) oh my god but you know you're wearing shorts all day and they're they're baggy and you're sweating and it's hot out and (laughs) it's just Gets a little warm in some parts, areas of your body. So anyway, especially so, when so your hammocks so. are rubbing together the whole time. <laughs> it's not like it's not like one of those fat people. Where you look at them and their shorts are riding up, and they're lower in the in the middle than they are on the outside of the. You know, if you look at like a some fatty R buckle <laughs> you're going to hell. Okay, so if you're falling behind some fatty R buckle, right? And you watch them walk, and they're wearing shorts. The short, the parts of like they make a V, like an inverted V, right? Oh because, my God! Because oh my God, <laughs> the, <laughs> 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 wait a minute, wait a minute, we're about we're about
3: one minute and fifty seconds in, and it's devolved. So, I'm estimating there; I don't even know.
2: Okay, so if you but if you're following Fatty down the street, right? Oh, thank okay, God, and they're walking <laughs> in their shorts. The outside of the shorts hang lower than the inside of the shorts, right? Because it because it works its way up. <laughs> I I've, ne- I've never okay, well, looked so, so I deeply. wasn't all, all I'm saying to say that is I wasn't like one of those. <laughs> but there was some. <laughs> well, there some... was some change because I wear like I wear cargo shorts or whatever, or even athletic shorts and stuff, and my and they're just baggy, and so
3: <laughs>
2: there's not fabric between some parts of your body, and so but the th- reason I found this hot, out, America, is because Chris's this. wife
3: told me. Yes. That that he was complaining endlessly about his chafing on this trip because I What's was like, the, "Hey, how's the trip I wasn't going?" Complaining endlessly. I checked
2: in. This is, I know. <laughs> my wife was giving me hourly updates on things you were telling her, and all of the pictures you said I, I'm demanding more pictures. <laughs> I was, and she kept sending them. I mean, I there were some did. doozies. <laughs> my wife loves uh, Billy.
3: I oh. honestly. We would all be best friends hanging out every day, uh-huh. making fun of each other if we could. But since uh-huh. we can't do that in person, we do it over Facebook, right. and which was very useful. I got a lot of good pictures of you. you did, um, we'll, twerk, we'll twerk for food. That was one of the <laughs> captions
2: on one of the photos. <laughs> uh, we should share those pictures. Yeah, um, yeah, they're probably available if you go to my Facebook page, I suppose. I don't think I've got anything blocked. But anyway. There was also... Um,
3: what was the other one? Oh, feel the burn when you're when you're going down the log flume or whatever.
2: Um, oh, but it's so, but but Disneyland. You've been have you been to Disneyland? You've been to Disney World, I'm sure. I've been to both. I've okay, been, to both, been to both. Yeah, I think you told me that. I love Disneyland. It's got a California vibe to it, which is great. That actually sounds terrifying. But continue. <laughs> but it's 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 the same with any. Any amusement park. In fact, Disney is better than most amusement parks because, it costs so, for one, it costs so much more to get in. So you're, there's already a filter built in. And they've uh, removed Jesus, which I'm sure you right. enjoy. But there's already a filter built into Disneyland in that not the poor people don't or shouldn't go to Disney, but because it's so expensive, it limits... A lot of time, the number of people going, like if you go to Kings Dominion in Virginia, or go to Six Flags, or you go to Bush Gardens or whatever else, they're much cheaper to get into, and the clientele can reflect that. That's not a that's not a dig on anybody. That's just simply a statement of fact of observation. So Disney's not as bad always as other places, but the problem with Disney is that everybody thinks they need to bring their frigging little kids to Disneyland. Right, I mean, it's yeah. Is it me? Is it for kids? Yes, it's also for adults. But these people who bring their infants, infants, like we took my the last time we went to Disney World, we took my my daughter. My son wasn't born yet. My daughter was just before she It was like a week before her third birthday, and that was pushing it for us. And we had the stroller some, but people bring infants. But my problem isn't even so much the infants, even though they'll cry sometimes. My problem is people with strollers <laughs> because. I'm a fairly gracious person, <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> but I, the stro- i i cannot tell you. It's like everybody took stupid pills, because you're walking down the street and you and you're walking towards somebody and you're walking on the right hand side of the street or the right hand side of the walkway or the right hand side of the sidewalk, like in a normal. Like we're in America. Here, normal civilized America, we walk down kind of on the right. We stay to the right for the most part. They understand you walk on the left side because you're gonna go into this shop or whatever. But you know, the flow of traffic is this way and this way, right? You go this way, that is totally ignored by people with strollers. They just barge their way through. And they and you start to walk toward them, and you're like, you should obviously move over there because I've got a wall to my right. And And you should move over there because you're going the opposite way and you're walking toward them. And it's like they have this moral conundrum and panic attack over what it is they're supposed to do when in a civilized society you look like you're about to run into someone. And they can't handle it. And people just freak out. And you have to. How many times did I just simply just stop? You know? But anyway. I hope you tripped. Did anybody trip you? No, but I. So not only am I not a big fan of strollers. (laughs) This is going to sound horrible. Oh no I'm not a don't, big fan. Don't do it don't do it i'm This is not a reflection on anyone's character. It's just a recognition of the asininity of some people when they get into disneyland like environments I'm also not okay I'm not a big fan of strollers i'm also not I'm also not the world's biggest fan of wheelchairs <laughs> because <laughs> We're standing out, and we're watching the fireworks or whatever it was. It was some evening thing. And there's that Main Street USA that goes through the, through the middle of Disneyland. And I'm standing there, and the, you know, there's crowds of people. I'm standing by the curb at the side, by the sidewalk where people are supposed to stand. And, and suddenly, I am run into by this wheelchair. I didn't even see it coming. Bam! It hits me right in the back of the legs. And that old guy it has got to be 90 years old sitting in the wheelchair, flies out of the wheelchair and into me. Now, if I hadn't wait, been... Wait,
3: wait. Did he... Was it extra painful because he touched your chafing and your job rub, <laughs> no, rub or no, was...
2: There was no job rub touchage. But he just... <laughs> he flew into me and I'm like... And the person who was pushing him simply wasn't watching where she was going. His... I, I don't know if it was a daughter or a wife because she was old as well, but he looked considerably older than her. But And again, you got to be in a wheelchair. You got to be in a wheelchair. It's not a big deal. But she's pushing not walking where she's going. If if I hadn't been standing where I was, she would have ran right into the curb and he would have wound up on the sidewalk on his face. <laughs> Sorry. But instead, she rams into me, <laughs> nearly gives me a serious leg injury, and this old man's flopping into me. And just thinking, come on, people, don't be idiots. you know. And so it's just, but let me say, it, it did not let that, none of that ruined the, the trip. It's just, those are the funny things. You just watch people and you go, how did you even make it out of bed this morning? And not you? you I mean, there's some people that are so. When they get into an environment like Disneyland, they are so stupid that you think this person could have drowned in the shower. I mean, that's. <laughs> I'm
3: sorry, wait,
2: I. <laughs> so then I think through all. The, are wait, you going? Stop! Yes. Stop! Yeah. yeah. I, I had to look up. I had to look she up did. the definition of chub rub at
3: oh, no. Urban Dictionary okay, and. Please.
2: I just want to read a couple of them. Oh, okay. um, wait, the f- if it's going to require bleeping, I don't have the energy tonight to do this. No, okay. I'm not
3: going to. I'm not choosing those ones. When your thighs love each other very much and touch each, <laughs> touch each other when you walk, also known as chafing. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Um, the, the next definition, the rubbing and chafing of chubby thighs against one another during long walks or...
2: So my legs. No, look at this. Look, you're on we're on Skype. I don't have chubby legs. No, but I, see, look, I, this look, is this, great. These are not chubby legs, these are muscular strong legs.
3: They see, still look, might rub together though. Yeah, Skinny do. people have chub rub too.
2: Yeah, I know, because look look at my shorts. I'm standing up here. You, you like you can see the crotch of the shorts is clear down here. Obviously, this area here oh is God. gonna rub.
1: Well,
3: I just my favorite is when your thighs love each other very much. <laughs> <laughs>
1: When you walk.
3: Anyway, I'm sorry. Look, I don't understand why you don't want people with wheelchairs at Disney, but what I will say.
2: It's not, okay. Because it... I was just about to add something about people in wheelchairs. So maybe I should. It's not that I don't want people at, at Disney with wheelchairs. If you need a wheelchair, fine. Here's what I don't understand uh, no. I don't understand. And you have a lot of time standing in line to think about these things. And you watch things and you go, that's maybe not the way I would do it. Are you taking a picture now? Is that what we're I doing? Was going, I was going to. <laughs> that's maybe not the way I would do it. And you just watch and you go, why the, Why does somebody in a wheelchair get to go to the front of the line? We're all standing in line for 45 friggin' minutes and they've got a wheelchair access line. Now, I understand having parking spots near the fronts of buildings the ease of getting into it but why why do why does why does having a wheelchair magically mean or a scooter because you're a fatty magically mean you don't have to wait anymore
3: maybe it has to do with the time it maybe there's it's a special line that helps get people in and out faster since it takes more time no
2: no they just they just feed them into the rides earlier if you have someone with a wheelchair you'll go on three times as many rides as the next as somebody without a wheelchair well, the next time you overchafe, you should demand a wheelchair. I should. Now, here's my here's my thing. If you got a kid with disabilities is in a wheelchair, you go to the front of the line. As far as I'm concerned, because they're kids, and a lot of times kids with disabilities, and as you know, we've wor- you've worked with them, I've worked with with kids with disabilities. They don't understand always why I'm sitting here at the front of this line. Why should I have to wait, right? But if you're just a fatty or you're lazy. Are you just chosen to be in a wheelchair are you're on a a, a rascal <laughs> uh you get to wait you can go to the you can go use the handicap line or whatever the wheelchair lane because that's the access to get up there and so there's a ramp to get you up there fine you can use that but guess what your weight is the same as everyone else's weight
3: I went through a rough period of time in my teen years lots when of, I would lots of chafing well yes but when I would ride I would ride I would I would, And this is awful. I don't know why I thought it was so funny at the time. I would hobble into stores so that I could ride the rascals. Like the motorized shopping carts. And I would chase my friends around in them and I would ride them around the store. And um, one night, things did not go so well with the motorized shopping cart. Um, As I was chasing my friends through... I don't even know why I'm telling this story. Chasing them through the children's department of a store i won't name which store i the the wheel the back wheel of the cart caught a giant shoe rack oh no and everything came down like i mean a huge rack of shoes came down and i thought i need to drive away but it was sort of like one of those moments where it was like and it died <laughs> and, <laughs> and it was such a disturbance that people came running workers came running now it was a pretty mortifying experience would I do it again probably but anyway I don't even know why I went there let's (laughs) just stop that you're talking about fatties and rascals so Uh, yes anyway well speaking of cartoon characters because you spend
2: you know time at Disney wait do you have another comment no but I was going to say because we now have at least one ad that we need to play remember Um, we need to put it in the first break so why don't we take a break we can come back and we'll get into the cartoon character you want to talk about. I can't believe if somebody wants to run an ad with us. It's great. Well, okay. it's it's a house ad, so but it's still an ad. <laughs> uh, but you want to talk about a cartoon character, and <laughs> so my son <laughs> is not a fan of princesses, which warms my heart, by the way. <laughs> sure doesn't surprise you any, but you know what? We'll talk about that on the other side just
0: a minute. I just
1: Back to the damn, damn church boys.
2: All right. So I promised to come back and, uh, <clears throat> we got to, <laughs> so my son, we, cause you go to Disneyland and one of the things they want, the kids wanted to do, and I, maybe the parents want their kids to do it more than the kids want to do it. I don't know. My daughter's really into it. My son doesn't give a rip. Um, but he did it to be nice to his mommy. I think, um, cause she got him the autograph books. You can meet the characters and get their autographs and stuff and so jacy's really my wife is really into that and she, i mean my wife is into it in simply that she thinks it's cool for the kids to get to do that she thinks that's fun uh, she doesn't care about having the autographs or not she just thinks the kids would like it and in the long run they may they, and so my daughter's really into it and in getting the autographs but my son is like eh i don't care except for he got he did get autographs from spider-man and captain america what he was extremely excited about <laughs> and he got to meet kylo because you know disney owns star wars now they've got a big star wars thing down. he got to meet kylo ren and boba fett and chewbacca so he was very excited about that and are those he, presidential candidates yeah and then he uh and then he put up with um meeting a few princesses but if there's an option for him to not get in line to meet a princess he he opted out but we were in one thing and uh uh, we were in line and it was to meet Anna Anna and Elsa from Frozen, which is still it's amazing to me how that thing has got legs because, you know, and you know, like Elsa's got legs, but the, the <laughs> movie itself and uh, anyway, so we're in line to meet Anna, Anna and Elsa and it's a rare treat kind of deal. You know, you, you don't always get to do this and it's supposed to be a 30 minute wait turned into an hour 15 minute wait. Ugh. Ugh. I, I don't, we don't know what was going on, but the, the, the line said he was 30 minutes and then it, somehow it became much longer than 30 minutes, which is, again, it's fine. We get up to the, that line to go meet Anna and Elsa. We've been waiting for an hour and 15 minutes and my son goes, I got to pee. <laughs> it's like, oh my we've gosh. been in line for an hour and 15 minutes, son. And now you tell <laughs> us you have to pee. But it was like one of those things just onset and he just had to go, well, there's no bathroom in this facility that we're in, this building we're in. It's two buildings down, so the lady in the front of the line we say can we it's okay if we go and she said yeah just tell that attendant over there you just come back and just get right in the back of the end of this little section of line here okay so we did that so we did that come back and that added about 20 minutes to our wait but which was fine but we we're talking to the attendant while we we're up there and we told her you know we, we came on this trip and they're asking so you know just the two of you the two kids and stuff and my my daughter says well we left the baby at home she said oh really and yeah we said yeah we have a two-year-old and she wouldn't really enjoy this t- so much. She would if she was closer to three, but she just turned two, and you know we don't put up the stroller and have to go back for naps. But the stroller and the the noise and the you know kids like that age just get obnoxious. And the lady, run, lady, the lady running the line looks at us and quietly mouths the words, "Thank you." <laughs> <laughs> He's like, you have no idea how <laughs> well, much I we appreciate when people like you have the sense to not bring their children. I love it. Anyway, love so that. we got to go meet Anna and Elsa. And Colton is, he's big into hugging mommy and daddy, but he's not a hugger. You know, know, grandma and grandpa and stuff, but to just random people. Like the characters, he wasn't running up to them to go hug them. He just wanted to meet them, see them, talk to them for a second. He doesn't even care about talking. He just wants to be able to say he saw them, like that he met them. So Chewie, he didn't really hug that much. Or Kylo Ren. Kylo Ren wasn't huggy, but, you know, Boba Fett, that sort of thing. But the princesses were very huggy, especially Anna and Elsa. And they kept hugging. They're hugging. And they're talking to my oldest daughter. She's eight. And so they're having a good conversation with him. And he's just kind of standing there. And they're trying to talk to him. And he's just giving yes, no answers, which is fine because he's a little bit shy. He's kind of being a little bit shy. He also just didn't want to be there. So, okay, hugs. And they're giving hugs. And so Anna is hugging him. And he breaks down. Just starts crying. Goes into full (laughs) panic mode because they kept hugging. (laughs) <laughs> she said well it's just warm hugs and he just, i said it's okay so i just i just stepped up and said you know what i'll just go ahead and take him." so i just picked him up and walked out so that he wasn't gonna be embarrassed any further than he already was oh my god i said hilarious. don't worry i said don't worry about it it's just i said he can only take so much hugging and it's it's not a problem you didn't do anything wrong i just i'm just gonna go ahead and take him out to cut down you know his embarrassment but he was just <laughs> in tears and it wasn't like he was tired and hungry kind of tears it was just like I can't take the continued hugging from these women <laughs> so, <laughs> anyway, so lots well, of cartoon characters, so you were wanting to you were wanting to have an awkward transition into a different car, con- tr- uh, cartoon character. Is that right?
3: <gasps> and that is right. And that cartoon character's name is Donald Trump so Donald Trump if if not to make his situation even worse when it comes to speculation about how deep of a Christian he truly is or
2: deep a thinker or deep
3: a thinker uh, <laughs> he was basically asked is there a favorite bible verse that you have a bible story that's informed your thinking did, or your
2: character did he, for he quote your from, life? did he quote from two corinthians
3: <laughs> uh, even better okay he said an eye for an eye <laughs> well, <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Uh, he did say it's not a particularly nice thing. Um, and he does like many, many, many of them. Yes, yeah, sure, sure he does. But an eye, but sure an eye only. for an eye, yeah. and um, you know, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. It's clearly <sighs> Old Testament Exodus uh, punishment. Uh, how does but, he
2: arrive at that? And see here's here's what he has when you ahead, want to make headlines
3: that's when you arrive
2: at it well but wanting to make headlines but he doesn't he's making headlines for the wrong reason he thinks he's making headlines because it's going to be one of those give a finger to people kind of thing like I'm aggressive and I'm mean and I'm tough and I'm going to kick somebody's butt right it doesn't you know the ends justify the means that kind of stuff he thought he was aching that kind of headlines and the headlines he got actually were people going listen you dope that is n- <laughs> that is not the christian doctrine eye for an eye like that's in the old testament new testament like the things jesus preached about were just like the opposite of that the the specific in fact mm-hmm. the whole point of christianity is to resist get even with them right and to embrace forgiving people and then well I'll matthew 5 addresses <laughs> yeah. jesus says you've had... You've heard. You have heard eye. it
3: was said, eye for an eye," and tooth for a tooth. But no longer. <laughs> but don't yeah. do it.
2: Right, and so you know, and all a pundit, you know, and all a an atheist, an atheist, and all a says this is the trumpiest thing he's ever said. He says the whole point of Christianity, I thought, was to resist vengeance and embrace forgiveness, and it's captured where no more it's captured nowhere more succinctly than in the rejection of an eye for an eye. <laughs> And he goes on I, to say, you know what? Here's Trump, who's half-heartedly pandering to Evangelicals, tried to, he's supposed to pick the best lesson from the Bible, and he says, I, an hi. He says, it's like naming Baal one of your favorite members of the Trinity. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Chris, you not get over that. Chris has been laughing about that line for days.
2: Oh, I love that line. Well oh, the other, I will line.
3: say though, I will say I don't share you. I think he <laughs> said it intentionally. I think he knew the reaction. I don't think he
2: cared. I well, think. I don't he, think he knew it was a rejection. I don't think he knew though that Jesus rejected eye for an eye. Maybe he did. Would it, you think look, he did? I don't think he did. Maybe. I don't. Think I think he, did. he says whatever.
3: He doesn't care. He could say that the Bible is whatever he did. People will not care. He could take a shart in the middle of a street. Can I say I shart know. on there? Yeah, no, just you can did. Say and you know, he could say, he just had shart from the pulpit. And nobody would care. Nobody cares what he says or does. Um, but yeah, I mean, he probably didn't realize that. But I think he said it because it was it was inflammatory. And maybe in line with what you were saying he, you know people would be like oh wow
2: but look i mean that's his concepts and proposals are sort of eye for an eye well let me um, let me read but and i that and that's the thing it's, i i do believe he picked that on purpose excuse me but i don't think he picked it understanding that jesus rejected that and here's what let me read something that all wrote and i think he, i think he's spot on on this cuz it's it's similar to what you're saying he says give him credit for being on message He's being asked here for nothing more than a light pander to Christians in the audience to show them that he takes his faith seriously. And, and instead, he reaches for something archaic and defunct about taking revenge on people who have wronged you, which is the absolute core appeal of his campaign. Jesus may want you to love your enemies, but the God of the Old Testament wants to make America great again, baby. <laughs> I think that's, I think, I think, I do think he picked that on purpose and wanted headlines because... I'm going out there i'm gonna pardon like I'm gonna kick ass and take names. I mean that's his attitude, and he picked that verse from the Old Testament on purpose, but he's trying to but if his desire is to pander to Christians bible believing Christians who follow the teachings of Christ, he blew it on that
3: uh yeah, as he did with two Corinthians as he's done about seven other times, but, but they don't
2: care they don't do care. Think, do you think he has any tattoos? Yes, I think he's got a tramp well, stamp. Oh my gosh. And I think right above that crack, it says Trump.
1: Oh
3: oh gosh. All right. That is an image that I cannot unsee in my head. Oh my God. Well, the reason I bring up tattoos is because the other thing, it's sort of related to this. We talk about Old Testament, New Testament, was Pastor Mark Driscoll. Oh, I love you're giving me the transition music. That's great. Mark Driscoll, who has had a fair share, uh, we talk about fair share. He's had quite a number of, of controversies and issues.
2: That's terrifying. I just, I just wanted to make actually. sure you were I just wanted to make sure you were fully transitioned. There you go.
3: That is that is actually terrifying. He's had a fair number of issues. He's he's recently planted a new church. You're and, talking about Driscoll um, again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Driscoll. I mean he's controversies, right? He's the guy, he's um, the pastor, he's
2: the one who left Mars Hill, right, in Seattle?
3: Yeah. Okay. And, and Mars
2: Hill's he, closed up shop now. Wasn't he friends with um oh our favorite theologian and author? Rob Bell. It,
0: uh, uh, they had a falling yeah, out,
2: right? They I they, don't didn't they found Mars together, or they worked together at Mars, and then they kind of had a falling out, a theological falling out.
3: I thought it was a different Mars Hill. I don't I, maybe they were, but I know they were in different I, locations. I, I know they, that I he, his, his was affiliate.
2: in um
3: Seattle. I think Driscoll's, and the other one yeah, was in yeah. like Missouri or so. I forget. Yeah, where but one I think that they were
2: connected. I think there was a falling out there, and Mark just said, "I can't go where you're going, Bell." I
3: think, we've I, had Rob Bell I, on this yeah, show, haven't we? Yeah, we have. Um. Yeah, he hasn't responded to my text Matt. I've been trying to get Rabel to come back, but I am actually talking to Mark Driscoll's people about trying to get him on. Oh, that'd which be great. Would be great. Um now what I love though, regardless of where people stand on Mark Driscoll is he tackles this question of can a Christian get a tattoo? Right. And he put out this 15-minute video. But I think the bigger piece of the video that's really helpful for Christians and atheists and everybody alike to understand the old testament law. Um, You know, the the differences between the civil ceremonial and moral laws and what that means and which of those really, which is mainly just the moral laws, carry over to the New Testament and are present in the New Testament and how, you know, civil and ceremonial, you have to kind of understand, atheists will always say, oh, those things are, you know, they're so
2: archaic and look what the Bible says. It says to stone your children. And, you know, and so anyway, which which by the stoning of children, by the way, I still subscribe to. Um, oh boy. Uh, well, <laughs> apparently, stoning of people
3: in wheelchairs at Disney. Wow. Uh, b-
2: Only the one to annoy me.
3: Anyway, Mark Driscoll <laughs> tackles this question of tattoos, and I think it's a really, really helpful mini-sermon for a number of reasons. But he points to Leviticus 19 verses 26 to 30 because that is where all of the people who think tattoos are demonic and awful and you know you shouldn't get them if you're a Christian they will point to that, and right. what that says um, is, do not cut your bodies for the dead. For the dead or put tattoo marks on yourselves, I am the Lord. So that line in that clump of verses, 26 to 30, Leviticus 19, that is sort of the centerpiece of the argument against tattoos. Now, we are in the Old Testament here. Uh, We are talking, it seems like we're talking about ceremonial law here. Um, But the weird thing is, it says, do not cut your body's for the dead right and so driscoll kind of explains you know his belief that this has to do with a pagan practice of cutting your body um or marking your body for the dead and right. but here's the thing if you subscribe to that this should be carried into today right do not cut your body so that let me read the verse right before that okay right. do not cut the hair at the sides of your head or clip off the edges of your beard right um Now, do not practice divination or seek omens. I think that kind of carries over into New
2: Testament, obviously. Um, There's one that says, do not degrade... The one right after the the tattoo. Do not degrade your daughter by making her a prostitute. Okay. That's probably a good moral teaching to follow. Right. Right.
3: Um, Now, and and we can go... Do not eat... The first one, a few verses up, do not eat any meat with the blood still in it. Right. Uh, Right. Okay, a lot of American, A lot of people do that, so...
2: and it's and it goes back to the argument that people have about circumcision now I mean a lot of Christians get their have their children I mean have their children circumcised because they say that's what the Bible said to do well except that that was that was an Old Testament provision to tell, to, to mark God's people to say this is a very intimate marking that you're making on your body and gentlemen every time you go to the bathroom you're going to be reminded of that covenant of who you are and who you belong to but it's part of is part of a sign of a covenant that isn't that you, we don't have to continue to do in fact Paul even preached about against circumcision in that having circumcision doesn't save you being circumcised doesn't save you it's faith in Christ that saves you we're talking so, about Romans here right well he also says it in galatians he goes, Yeah the, he, I was it, is he says, it Romans 5? I'm yeah, trying to but remember. in Galatians, though, he, Galatians is all about, you know, you would get saved through faith, not through works, right? And the, and the ability to follow the law. Is the law important? Yeah, but you're going to follow it because you have faith in Christ and you're following the law, not the other way around. And so he says, listen, and and he goes on to say he talks about circumcision. He says, like, forget about circumcision. The only thing that matters is faith expressing itself through love. That's Paul's writing. He says, forget about the circumcision thing. Circumcision doesn't save you, you know. Yeah. So. But the
3: point is if you right and if you're but if you're going to take this tattoo verse to mean there's a total ban on tattoos under God and look there are arguments for why Christians don't like tattoos and I, understand, I do not yeah. have any tattoos I'm not a big fan of them for myself I wouldn't probably get any um, but you then also shouldn't be
2: shaving so good luck with that right. because But it, now you, but this at the same time okay, and I agree with that argument but at the same time how would you counter the person who says well, if I have to take, don't degrade your daughter by making her a prostitute. Seriously, shouldn't I take all the rest of them seriously? Well, that is, appears so, to be. So, how does what, how you does could, how does Driscoll argue about how
3: we how we get around that? So, I think the argument would be that cutting your body for the dead is a ceremonial law that no longer stands. Whereas, and I and I don't know, but this is my assumption. Whereas, degrading your daughter by making her a prostitute is a moral law. Yeah. Um, now. And there may be better arguments than that. Um, you know, not cutting your hair is also a ceremonial yeah. law. Right. Um, same with meat um, and same now practice of divination and seeking omens may be ceremonial, but it also may be moral. Yeah. Um, right. And, and obviously none of these are really dealing with civil, right? I mean, we're not really dealing with civil law here, but, but it is interesting. And yeah. I yeah. do think there are a lot of things in the new Testament that, you know, you don't like when you talk about the 10 commandments, those things appear in the New Testament, so whether whether they stand or not anymore, they they appear, and so in a sense right. they do obviously stand. But it's fascinating, right? Yeah. I mean, you can go in circles around all these things, yeah. but but yeah, look, I, I I'm not going to. Say that I just think it's dangerous to say there's a blanket tattoo ban based on this
2: verse. Right. And, and I would agree. I Where I think that you have to be careful on the tattoo thing is one, what you're getting tattooed on your body. Your body, it, you know, your body's a temple. If you're going to put garbage on your body and throw swear words, tattoo swear words on your body, then you have other issues you need to deal with. Right. Agreed. Um, And maybe See, I don't and, like and, tattoos. And, and, a person don't. Could, and a person could argue you shouldn't, if you're going to, if you get a tattoo, you know, in remembrance of somebody, okay, are you getting a tattoo to mark the dead? I mean you could have that argument too I suppose. But where the where you shouldn't the when when I say you shouldn't if if someone were asked me if they should get a tattoo or not you know is it a sin to get a tattoo there are things in the bible that are not explicitly spelled out that though that each of us get convicted on like I don't drink right and I don't drink because it just doesn't mainly it doesn't appeal to me. I mean that's my that's probably one of my biggest reasons but theologically speaking salvation wise God's convicted me. Says, "Listen, alcohol is not for you." I go, "Okay, I'm fine with that." And so I don't drink because I've been convicted. You know what? That's not that's not for you. And if God says to you, "You know what? Tattoos are okay for them. Tattoos are not for you." Okay, fine. That's fine. You know. And God hasn't said that to me, but I'm just saying, if there's, if there's something that you've been convicted on that God has said this certain thing is not for you, and if it's not something that's explicitly spelled out in the Word, then that thing for you is sin. So. That's where that's where the tattoo thing, I think, gets answered. Um, I think we need to run one of our interviews. We here. do. What do you, what one do you want to do first? Douglas
3: McKin- McKinnon. Let's do Douglas
2: McKinnon. Now he's yeah. he's the he's the Reagan administration guy, right?
3: Yeah, former Reagan speechwriter, uh, former speechwriter for the first Bush. Um, and he wrote this book the 40 days it's a vision of Christ's lost weeks uh basically the 40 days Jesus walked the earth after the resurrection um, and it's imagined obviously um, you know the the details are not uh you know known but but he imagines what uh what that was like and um, but the story is told through uh, kind of like this nine-year-old street urchin and and an older man who tells him the story. Basically, this older man was with Jesus, the you know before his his crucifixion, and sort of takes people through the story. And I won't give any more details. I'll let uh, I'll let McKinnon uh, talk about it. But I think it's a it's an interesting take and look at uh, some fascinating biblical stuff. So, roll it. It's Billy Hollowell here with the Church Boys Podcast, and I have a very special guest on today. It is Douglas McKinnon. How are you doing today?
1: I'm doing great, Billy. Thanks for having me back on. I really appreciate it. No
3: problem. I know. It's funny. We were just talking off uh, line, and I, I think it was 2012, and it's funny how time passes because I would have thought we talked I mean, we've emailed here or there um, over the years, but I would have thought, oh, it wasn't four years ago. It was much um, sooner than that. It wasn't that long, but but it's been a long time. How have you been doing?
1: I've been doing great, yeah. The four years ago seemed like four weeks to me, but uh, <laughs> exactly. and probably the same to you, but I'm I'm doing well. And uh, you know, since that time, and, and, and the reason we're speaking now is because something, at the very least, surreal happened to me a few months ago, and, and that sort of changed my life in, in a dramatic way the last few months, and, and I'm just deeply honored that you've taken the time to talk to me about it.
3: Well, I appreciate that. And and this new project that you have, this new book, The 40 Days, uh, tell tell me about this. How did, where did the idea come from? Why did you um, decide to publish it? Just take me through the process.
1: Yeah, it's kind of interesting, again, and you know my background. Uh, I hope I'm a fairly credible person, having worked in the White House as a writer for two presidents and having worked in a joint command in the Pentagon. And, and so I think I'm fairly stable and fairly sane, and so the background on this book, and and since you and I first started talking about the book, and, and since it first came to me a few months ago, Billy, I've shared it with so far seven members of the Christian clergy, including a Christian historian, as well as Elizabeth Dole, former Senator Elizabeth Dole, and all of them said the book deeply touched them, uh, was something that really deeply reaffirmed their faith. But what was interesting to me was after all seven read the book, they basically said it was, in a sense, my obligation to tell the backstory of how the book came to me. So I appreciate you giving me the time to do that. And what happened was really, over the last 10 or 15 years, just once or twice a year, for about 10 or 15 seconds at a time, I would have a flash in my head that basically said, the 40 days, there's a great story there, tell it. And like a lot of people, I would say, I would just make a note on a piece of paper and, and you know write down the 40 days, and, and to be honest, then I would just ignore it because I didn't know what it meant. I didn't know what to do with it. And this, this kept going on for well over 10 years. And then a few years ago, in my home office, my wife walked into my home office, and above my head, above my desk, on the wall, was a yellow sticky on, on, the, on the wall that said the 40 days. And my wife asked me, Well, well, what is that? And what does it mean? And I said, You know what, to tell you the truth? I'm not sure. I really don't know. And then a few years later, which is just a few months ago, in, in, in September of twenty fifteen, I was sitting in that same home office working on an entirely different project. And within a few minutes, Billy, the entire book flooded into my head. Name, story, places. I didn't know what to do. I've never felt a sensation like that in my life. So I just sat there and made notes like crazy, as fast as I could, and then basically for the next 10 hours, I sat there and, and, and wrote um, almost the entire book in one sitting. It, it was one of the most surreal, amazing experiences ever, and it, and it was interesting because I never planned to write the book. It wasn't anything even in the back of my mind, and within a few minutes, the book not only flooded into me, but flooded out on paper and then, and then into my computer. And it was one of those things where I didn't know what to think or what to do for a number of days after that.
3: Had that ever happened to you before? Anything like that when it comes to, I mean, you've written you've written books, you've done this before. Was that sort of the first time you've ever had um, that sort of experience?
1: It, it was indeed, and matter of fact. and, and what, when you and I were nice enough to talk uh, four years ago about my memoir because as you you know, I grew up in abject poverty and was homeless a number of times as a child. And for me, I think an interesting connection to that story is when I was, and you and I talked about it four years ago, when I was five years of age, I had acquired a little plastic nativity scene, just, you know, I think for a dollar. And in the middle of that plastic nativity scene, of course, was the smiling face of baby Jesus. And I would hold, as my family would get evicted time and again, I would hide in a closet as a five-year-old, and I would hold that little plastic baby Jesus for dear life, you know, to my chest, and that little plastic baby Jesus became my foundation. It became my comforter, the one thing I could count on as we were ripped from home to home. And and that was the my relationship started with, with Jesus Christ uh, with that little plastic nativity scene, that little plastic baby Jesus. And for me, my faith in Him has only grown over the years. But that said, even though that happened many, many years ago, I've never had an experience with, you know, like like I'm describing now in terms of how this book flooded into my head a few months ago. It really is. And I'm not claiming anything spiritual, and nor will I ever. But by the same token, when I sat down with these seven members of the clergy, and even Elizabeth Dole, they all said, you don't have to claim that. But it's very important that you tell that backstory and let people know how this this innocent little story came into your mind. And leaving that aside, Billy, the one thing I have become convinced is that sort of as our nation and the world falls further into darkness, and as Christianity becomes under increased attack and even, sadly, genocidal attack, I was supposed to write this innocent little book at this time, and spread the word as much as possible, and that's what I'm trying to do.
3: Well, and, and as you've just mentioned, I mean, we have, and obviously uh, there's so many different levels of this, the real hardcore persecution that's going on. You mentioned the genocidal um, actions, obviously, of the Islamic State right now. Um, we, we also have a different form, a much lighter form, but still a very concerning form of, um, you know, and we can use the word persecution, although it's a different brand of it, of what is going on with Christianity here in America, uh, more of sort of a denigration, a cultural um, push against, let's say, Christianity. With all of that going on, I think the key question, and with the backstory you shared, um, what is the, first take me through the general premise of the 40 days, and then tell me what you're hoping people take away.
1: Yeah, so the story that came into my head a few months ago, and again, with with, with not having a thought of it before it flooded into my head, it it, is a very simple and innocent story. It's the story of a 79-year-old man who's very frail now, and he's in a one-room stone-and-mutt hut, basically talking to his granddaughter and her husband, who's a simple shepherd with their two children, you know, their two small children laying on a bed of hay in the corner of the room. And he's telling, the 79-year-old man is telling his granddaughter and her husband, the shepherd, who's a little bit of a, a disbeliever, of something miraculous that happened to him 70 years earlier, when he was a nine-year-old boy. He happened to be a nine-year-old street urchin. He was, he was orphaned, and he, he figured out as a nine-year-old boy, the only way he could survive was to make it to Jerusalem, to make it to a big city, where at the very least he could steal food from, from the troughs of, of, of pigs and cows and try to survive any way he could. And as this little nine-year-old boy was making his way into the city of Jerusalem, that particular day he happened to stumble upon what, what he said was an obscene and cruel procession of a, of a young man being forced to drag a heavy timber cross down the street for his own crucifixion. And this little nine-year-old boy had an, a special interaction with that what he called that bloody and beaten man. And when he had that interaction with that bloody and beaten man, because he did, he was able to become a witness for the next 40 days after the resurrection of what Jesus Christ did and, 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 and how he moved about Jerusalem for the next 40 days.
3: And so the story kind of takes readers readers through all of that, which is which is kind of a, fa- it's sort of like a, a historical fiction type um type approach then, it sounds like.
1: It is, and that's one of those things, you know, is, is it a vision, is it not? Uh, you know, I honestly don't have the answer to that. I, I, I know it's sort of it, it, the story ends up filling in some of the blanks that people have had over the years. But what I've, what I've found since the book has just, just came out a couple of weeks ago is, is that people that are reading it are, are not only reading it on their own, but uh, I've been told so many times now that parents are bringing their children into the room with them and reading out loud from the book to their parents because of this beautiful little nuclear family within the story. And, and, and to your point, Billy, as, 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 So many people seem to be questioning their faith or falling away from their faith. Again, I I, I, this book I do believe, if nothing else, is there to reaffirm people's faith, to reaffirm their hope as, as sort of the darkness in the world spreads. And that's the one you know. That's the most positive feedback I'm getting from those who have had the time to read the book so far.
3: Um, what is the number one thing you want them, in light of all, what we've talked about with the standing of faith and Christianity in the world, what do you want them to take away from the book? Anybody who reads the book picks it up.
1: I think the only thing that matters is, is that people who read this book just understand and, and comprehend and take into their hearts and souls the pure and simple message of Jesus Christ. And, and that message is spelled out time and time again throughout the book, throughout this innocent little story. And I think if, if if people can do that, and then tell their their family and their neighbors, and and keep that that faith within them, that I do believe it, and that's the message within the book too. You know, where where this this, this little boy Jesus is telling him, you know, you know, you're you're one small light, but when your small light compares with you know combines with the millions of other lights out there, we can defeat darkness. And I, and I just honestly believe if people can just if, they take, if the only thing they take from this book is that their faith is, is reaffirmed and they, they truly understand and grasp and hold close to their heart and soul the message, the pure message of Jesus Christ, then there's, nothing, there's, there's, there's no greater wish that I could ever want.
3: I love it. Well, is there anything else maybe we haven't discussed about the book that you'd want people to know?
1: No, I mean, it's, again, you know, for anyone that cares, you know, the easiest place to get it is Amazon or any local bookstores. But it's one of these things, too, where all I ask is, is, the one thing I want people to realize, too, Billy, and you and I talked about it offline, is I didn't take a dime for this book. And and for me, other people are different, but for me, the only thing you do with a book like this is help a charity. And and I think, you know, if it ever becomes any kind of even moderate success, we'll certainly be able to do that. But I I also wanted people to understand that up front. The the only motivation for me ultimately is, again, I I just never planned to write this book. I never expected to write it. And when it flooded into my head, it came out exactly the way it came into my head. And I just believe I'm supposed to tell this story and spread the message as far as I can.
3: Well, listen, this has been great. I appreciate you coming on today. We'll make sure we link out to that book as well so people can uh, get a copy if they want.
1: Billy so much it's just been an incredible honor to talk to you again I really appreciate it and I appreciate this opportunity you're giving me to spread the word
3: thanks to a spread lot spread his
1: word ultimately
3: thank you really appreciate your time
1: the and
2: now back to the church boys they are a real
3: pain in my head hi it's me Chris and I'm just Trying to itch my chafy legs here. It's just it's so rough at Disney. I'm just totally having a hard time uh, with the chafe and the baby butt paste and everything. It's just so, so,
2: so difficult. I'll tell you, that uh, baby butt paste, that Dr. the Bordeaux's butt paste, miracled ointment. You're miracle. Pathetic. You are pathetic.
3: Um, well, I'm glad you've cured your chap, But the point is, We have other things to discuss, mainly this study that Pew put out. And this is based on the 2014 data that Pew collected, which, you know, got a lot of attention over the last year because they've they've basically extracted this data and put out uh, quite a, a bit of information about what Christians, Americans believe about a variety of things. And this particular facet of the research focuses on. Highly religious Americans versus the rest of the country. Now that doesn't mean if you're in the rest of the country category, you might be religious, you might attend church, but to be highly religious, you pray every day and you attend church at least once a week. Um that was sort of the benchmark. About thirty percent of the country falls into that category really?
2: of highly religious. Seventy do percent does not. Do you do you buy that that thirty percent of the country is that real is that quote religious?
3: Um yeah, maybe. What, what maybe. were the standards?
2: You had to go to church at least once a week and pray daily. And pray daily.
3: I think. I mean, it's a it's a low,
2: thr- relatively low threshold. I mean, that's a lot more work than most Christians I know put in.
3: Maybe, <laughs> maybe. Um, and I that could, and I, that's I, why these things are, I hope di- I'm are difficult. But I guess I would argue, even if you're overstating it, yeah. even if you're overstating what how many times you're praying a week or whatever. Yeah. You want to be doing that, yeah. right? right? And it's
2: important. So, and you identify as highly religious. I mean, if right. if a person identifies right. themselves as highly religious, then then the being religious label appeals to them. So it says something. Now, there were
3: some key differences uh, between that first group, the highly religious, and the not highly highly religious people. Some some of them were like not so interesting, but were kind of fun. You know, they right. the highly religious people are more likely to gather with their family at least one time a month. Um, like they way were, more. It was, What? Like way more, really. I mean, more than 50% more often. Yeah, forty-seven percent versus thirty percent. They're very happy with the way their life is going. Forty percent versus twenty-nine percent. Very satisfied with family life. Seventy-four percent versus sixty-seven percent of the not the not so religious people. But where it gets really interesting, and I think this is where the debate with atheists comes in, mm-hmm. um, about do you do good because you're religious? And and some people will say no. Anybody can be good, which is true. Anybody could be good. I guess you have right. to define what good is, but we won't do that here. Um, but When you ask, you know, did you volunteer in the past week? 45% of highly religious people said that they did versus 28% of not highly religious people. But the big one, and this is the one I think is fascinating donated money, time, goods to the poor in the past week. 65% of highly religious versus only 41% of not highly religious. So, you know, both sides might overinflate whether or not they've done that. But the point is, religious people are more likely to say that they've done it. Yeah. So there you go.
2: Well, maybe because they feel like they have to say that. Do you think that's a possibility?
3: Maybe, but I would say everyone feels like they have to say it, right? I suppose. So, yeah. It might be a wash. I mean, atheists are on a huge campaign to raise money for cancer and do these other, all these other things that they say prove that you can be quote good for goodness' sake. So why are their numbers not not that all of the seventy percent are atheists? Obviously, that's ridiculous. Right. But it just it it would seem that all of these numbers could be overinflated. Yeah.
2: Interesting. Um, so uh, speaking, and 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 they're pretty sure that they're just good enough. I don't know, good enough for what? I don't know. But we're actually I'm leading the Tuesday night study, the young adult study that I lead. We're going through Andy Stanley's short little book called "How Good Is Good Enough." Have you read that? I have not. It's super short and super easy. You could handle it.
3: Oh, that's great. Yeah.
2: You, it's anyway. It's really good, and it's and it, it very thoroughly discusses that question of how good is good enough. Anyway. What was I going to ask an, you? We, we have another oh, guest this week. Oh, that's right. we got
3: Rice, right? Yeah, Rice, which his name makes me so hungry.
2: <laughs> might, <have> been named, <laughs> might as well have been named Sandwich. <laughs> it's, it's Rice Brooks, and uh, he's a he's which a preacher. Is, which, when you see it, it throws you off because it doesn't look like Brooks.
3: And, no, it looks like Brocks or Brocks. Like and uh, then
2: you go, wait, there's another O in there.
3: Anyway. Yeah, it's interesting. and uh, he's nice, But he, he's, a he's nice got guy. a book... He's got a book that was like the. It's tied to God's Not Dead 2. It's sort of the inspiration oh, like, uh, for God's Not Dead too, and it's called Man, Myth, Messiah: Answering History's Greatest Question. Um,
2: I, I thought this was an interesting interview that we did, and um, well, most of our interviews are interesting. But uh, one thing I want to say before we we play it, there's there's we we had some phone issues, so it's gonna there might be times where it kind of clicks a little bit more than we would want it to. So it wasn't the most well produced interview, but it's still good. But I thought it was interesting. I I asked him about the C.S. Lewis angle, right? Because C.S. Lewis had the the the, not infamous the famous uh, liar lunatic or Lord argument, and he addresses that. I said, "Because I was is is this just an extension of his thing?" He says, "No, this is actually an addition to like." So it's it's really a a very interesting book that he's got out there, and I, I encourage people to read it. I don't know how closely it relates to the God's Not Dead movie. But. It's in the movie. You see them holding the, the book Yeah, the I remember movie. him saying the book is in the movie, but the yeah. is the, the movie's not based on the book, is it or is it um, this connection they,
3: they're they're connected like the if you were to watch the movie and wanted more information the book would give you the concrete information the, gotcha. you know the movie obviously isn't a documentary so right. you leave though and the real f- and you'll see the, the interesting people some people will hate God's Not Dead too. some people will like it but the interesting piece is Lee Strobel and some of the others on the stand in a courtroom talking about the you know Jesus and the existence of Jesus yeah. that is the interesting part of the movie this book I think builds upon those arguments gotcha
2: now he wrote the first book he wrote the, he wrote a book called god's not dead right he and did that, and that yes, was the god's basis for dead. the first god's not dead movie yes
3: yeah and All it right. was called god's not dead evidence for god in an age of uncertainty that and was so his, now that
2: was his other book and so now this book is the foundation for god's still not dead right yes god's still not dead today but kevin sorbo is <laughs> but kevin sorbo is <laughs> Yes. Speaking of, we have to get Kevin Sarbo
3: back on yes, the show. Yes, I was
2: going to say we need to get him back on. We also need to get Chris Christopherson or whatever his name is, Palaha. Yeah, Palaha. Chris Palaha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's nice a good anyway. guy. He's a really good guy. I'm, I'm not, stalking everybody these days to get,
3: get them to peddle my books. So. And if
2: we could get Adam West on again, that'd be nice. His name's Matthew. Well, Adam West? That's Batman. Matthew West. No, look, he didn't win a Grammy. And you that's just true. Keep... That's true. No, you know what? Let's not have him on. If we could now, if we could get Adam West, now we're talking. Matthew West actually um, is in New
3: York right now this week, this uh, weekend. He's got a big show. He offered me tickets, but and I you, can't get to the city for. It. And he didn't go. huh? It's tomorrow night. I'm not going, but I'd like what, to go. What, what possible?
2: What other thing could you possibly have to do?
3: We're taking Ava to a birthday party for another kid. What is and, your wife? You
2: know. your, wife is, what, is your wife and let her leg's broken? Can she not take the kid to the like party? It's like an hour away. Who cares? It's, and I feel
3: guilty. It's, uh, in the, Andrea, it's in a bad, it's in like the, well, it's not in a Andrea, bad part of the city, but spend, it's in the city. I, I hate can, her going to the
2: city. I can spend time with you and these rotten little kids, or I can go hang out with a celebrity music uh, guy who didn't win a Grammy.
3: You are hellbound. The point, the point is, we're going to roll the interview now
2: with okay. Rice Brooks. Okay. That's the
3: point. All right. His name is very
2: delicious. <laughs> we had, never mind. Gone on a tangent. We had Rice tonight, and my daughter was not a fan, the two year old. All right. Sorry. What was you going to do? Oh, you're going to roll the interview. Here you go. What was you going to do?
3: It's Billy Hollowell here with the Church Boys, and we have Dr. Rice Brooks on the line, author of Man, Myth, Messiah, Answering History's Greatest Question. How are you doing today?
4: Thanks. Very good, Billy.
3: So it's been a while since uh, you and I last talked. I think you came down to The Blaze, and we did an interview about your God's Not Dead book, um, which obviously the, the cool thing about your books, both God's Not Dead and Man, Myth, Messiah, is their relation to the God's Not Dead films. And... You know, I want to ask you about your motivation for writing Man, Myth, Messiah. But before we get there, I'm going to start with a big question and and let you sort of unpack it a little bit. And I think that question is what convinces you above all else that uh, Jesus Christ existed and, and was who he said he was?
4: Billy, I think the existence of Jesus is in historical bedrock. I mean, there are facts of history that even skeptics. Historians who are, who are skeptics will acknowledge are true. Uh, among those are that Jesus was crucified by Pontius Pilate, uh, that his tomb was found empty, that he started very early. Uh, you know, literally days after the the the, the crucifixion, the resurrection. So, th- those are historical facts that you know. If you get your if you get your data, and I know you're not saying this, but the skeptics get their data kind of Google, Something and something pops up from an Internet site saying Jesus never existed. I say that's kind of the intellectual version of being in the grocery store where you see the magazine that says Bigfoot stole my money. It's kind of like, OK, not a lot of sources, not a lot of substance or scholars that uh, agree with that headline. So the scholars, the sources all point to the fact that Jesus was indeed a real person, lived in history. And uh, what the gospels say happened happened to him.
3: Well, and I think it's it is interesting how this debate continues to forge on, and we've had even some evidence some archaeological evidence showing that um, parts of the Old Testament may have been written older than some scholars you know uh, have been willing to admit, and we've had all the all these different pieces of evidence sort of pop up. Um, let me just ask you when we speak just even beyond Jesus and we talk about the Gospels because some people will say, okay well I think I think Jesus existed." But I'm not so confident that the things the Gospels say, say about him and the Bible as a whole, specifically the New Testament, are true. Um, how much faith do you think we can really have in the Gospels, and why?
4: Billy, I think the Gospels are very reliable accounts. Uh, that Matthew wrote Matthew, Mark wrote Mark, Luke wrote Luke, and John wrote John. Um, I mean, from the manuscripts that we have uh, compared to other ancient manuscripts, to the details... To the uh, to the historical and archaeological confirmation of that uh, from those facts, um, just on and on it goes. It's just the Bible is history. It's not you know once upon a time in a galaxy far, far away. It's it's uh, the, the things the Bible says happened happened, or the events it speaks about, or the or the places uh, sp- specifically. So I lived in Israel for maybe three months at one uh, at one time, and. You know, just you can take your Bible, your New Testament, and it's it can become like your, your Uh From the Pool of Bethesda uh, to, you know, through the book of Isaiah, when you talk about Hezekiah's tunnel and the 500-yard tunnel, 500-meter tunnel to be exact, that dug through the rock that the Bible speaks about, to David's house, to Ir David, which um, I said with the archaeologists that uncovered the city of David. And uh, just,
1: again, just over and over, it's
4: been confirmed uh, that what the Bible tells is true, what the Bible talks about in terms of its historical setting is, is definitely real.
3: Why do you think there are so many skeptics despite all of that?
4: Well, it's the implication of the story. The, the Jesus was raised from the dead, which separates Christianity from every other religion. Uh, again, we are the, only, the Christian. The Christian religion is the only one that says if this one historical event did not happen, then our faith is falsified. And so, because of that, Paul would say it this way: If, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is in vain. So, the fact that this one historical event God bets it all—if you part the analogy bets it all on that one event—the implications of that event are far-reaching. That Jesus is who He said He is. Uh, he is the authority in the universe, and there is a moral authority. That, uh, there will be a moral accountability uh, that all of us have to face, and so that's that's far different than just kind of postulating some kind of force like in Star Wars, or just something that's up there that we kind of hope is there. That as C.S. Lewis says, when the sun is shining and we feel good, and want to feel better about ourselves, we can kind of acknowledge there's something beyond us. But as long as that is something beyond us, uh, doesn't have any expectations, then people are okay. But this Jesus has expectations for us, and that's why it's so threatening. The, the Christian faith.
2: Hey, you mentioned uh, you mentioned C.S. Lewis there, and and I was going to ask you a C.S. Lewis question. How is this different from, or is this an expansion of Lewis's liar, lunatic, or Lord argument, or or how does this relate to what Sue, what Lewis wrote about, you know, several decades ago?
4: Well, when C.S. Lewis gave his, his trial, that Jesus was either a liar because he knew he wasn't the son of God, uh, he was uh, a lunatic because he thought he was, or he was the Lord. Uh, Bart Ehrman, a famous skeptic from the University of North Carolina, he added a fourth L. Said, "Well, what if he's a legend?" And so, in this generation, uh, there's now this speculation or in skepticism about just the basic facts. Of history, so now in this generation, I say, man, the book, man, myth, Messiah, man, was the evidence Jesus existed, myth. What about the Bill Mars of the world who put out his documentaries that claimed that Jesus, you know, was a borrowed story from the Egyptians or the Persians? And so you have again this kind of uh, this kind of information, or should we call it misinformation, going out. Uh so that's why I had to address it is did Jesus exist? What about this notion that he's a myth, which is now becoming a very prominent uh kind of thought on internet sites and then find the Messiah? How do you know what is the evidence? What would make Jesus the Messiah? What would be the evidence or what would point to that being true so that's it's basically a different argument, Chris, for a different generation
2: so you're 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 focusing more on that fourth l that was brought up
4: then. Yeah, airmen talking about well, what if this was all legendary? What if this was again just speculation or people making up things that uh, kind of added on, added on this legendary material around this simple carpenter that uh, maybe taught a little bit or whatever. So again, people are trying to always say, well, is it the difference in the Christ of faith and the Jesus of history? My contention is the Jesus of history is the Christ of faith. Right.
2: Okay. Good. What would be,
3: you know, if you had Bill Maher in a room, if you have one of these skeptics in a room, what would you say to
4: them? Specifically, what questions might you have for them? Well, when Bill Maher makes his claims um, that Jesus was a borrowed myth, I'd say, what are your sources? Uh, I mean, most of that came from the uh, 19th and early 20th century, and a lot of that notion about Jesus being a myth was an anti-semitic anti semitic kind of motivation no one you know people didn't want jesus to be jewish i mean jesus was rooted in judaism he was rooted his ministry was was in fulfillment of prophecy uh what the the jewish people would call the tanakh or we would call the old testament Uh, you can just look at chapter 53 which is a stunning prophecy hundreds of years before christ detailing this suffering servant that what he would do and that he would bear our sins and and uh bear our sorrows and so that those kinds of things show that jesus was not a borrowed myth i mean i i work on college campuses around the world and ministries in about 70 countries so i've spent time in egypt no respected egyptologist would think jesus was a borrowed story from the horus or osiris Os- osiris legends um this is again just that myth. So I would say, you know, number one, you've got no sources, Bill. Two, you've got no scholars, reputable scholars, no historians. I would say this, and really, no substance to this.
2: Uh, you know, loves
4: you know, his favorite thing is the talking snake. You know, he gets on here and says, "Oh, you believe in talking snake?" Of course, my response to that is, "Yes, they they get like like talk shows here in America." But the the point is is that the, the evil presence in the world in the universe that would have spoken through whatever instrument was available actually spoke through Jesus' closest associate, Peter. Jesus recognized that voice. And so the voice the voice of the enemy from the beginning is always sought an instrument to speak through. The voice of God, the voice of the Spirit is always has sought those who would be yielded to him to be a vessel to speak through. And so we are in a cosmic battle. Again, that's not something that you have to be a Star, War, Star Wars fan admit. It's just there is a cosmic battle. And my appeal to him would be that, that Jesus' history that uh, came and manifested himself was the Savior of all, including Bill Maher. And I, I think the gospel would meet the needs of his heart just if it's met ours on this phone.
3: Well, very good. And, uh, you know, you've obviously got this book out, Man, Myth, Messiah, Answering History's Greatest Question. Can you tell me a little bit about the book and obviously what we're talking about that's part of the subject matter? But what are you hoping people will take
4: away from the book? Uh, Billy, uh, first of all, the first book, let me just digress just a moment if I can. I was writing the book God's Not Dead and told a friend who said that needs to be a movie. He brought the movie company to me to Nashville, and I explained the challenge that goes on on a university campus that comes to someone who's a person of faith. And then met with the screenwriters, they followed me out to UCLA, and then they came up with the script, and so I was very happy with the impact of the first movie um, that talked about the existence of God. I just got back from Italy, went throughout the movie, first movie, Sweeping Italy, was able to give uh, the Pope a copy of my book in Spanish, and explain a little bit about how the young people looking for reasons to believe. So it was just a natural progression to say the next movie would be about historical Jesus. The first one about does God exist, and had a young man portrayed as answering a skeptical professor who wanted to see if he could defend that. Now in, in Man, Myth, Messiah, you will see the you will see the book actually be a shameless product plug in the movie because there's a high school teacher who quotes a scripture and she's fired and not fired excuse me she's suspended and uh, faces a lawsuit so her non-christian attorney kind of from the public defender's office said well how can I defend you she said well Jesus really lived. why couldn't I quote him like I would Gandhi or Martin Luther King so and I did it in history class so she goes to the Bookcase in the movie and pulls down my book right in the middle of the movie and goes, "You've got some reading to do." And so again, the hope of it is is that people will realize that Jesus did live, that he was no myth, and that the confidence in the resurrection would be something that everyone would have. Again, uh, the Christian faith is based on that event. Uh, We believe the Bible is the Word of God. We believe it's inspired. Yet. the Bible itself says that the evidence of our faith being true is the resurrection. That's the foundation, and that's really the foundation that once you grasp that, that can withstand any onslaught skepticism. Uh, I've spoken from Charles Darwin University in Darwin, Australia, to Imperial College. Uh, you know, all, all throughout this country and beyond, the resurrection can withstand any challenge uh, that is uh, that, it, that it faces.
3: Well, listen, this has been great. We really appreciate you coming on. We want to have you back on again soon, and I'm sure if there is a God's Not Dead three, you'll have a good book to accompany it. <laughs>
4: <laughs> well, there, there's already a little, there uh, is some talk about that, and I've met with the screenwriters. But let's hope God's Not Dead too, that people will see that, and and again, if they see the book at the very end of the movie, you see the lawyer who's the uh, the main lawyer in the movie, uh, Jesse Metcalf. And he said, the trial is over, and they're literally being on a verdict. And now he's reading my book as if, hey, this is not about the trial anymore. It's about my own personal journey. And so we just really hope that people will examine the evidence and make a decision based on all the facts, not just rumor or you're saying about who you believe Jesus is. Well, I appreciate your time
3: today. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank, thank you both.
1: I trust The
2: church whores. man, I eat these guys. So, uh, we should probably head out now, Billy. It's uh, it's sleepy time. It's awfully it's late. I'm, I'm gonna be, it's one fifty. It's one fifteen a.m. here. Yeah. <laughs> Poor Billy, he's turning <laughs> out the lights already. He's he's. he's, he's are, are you changing into pajamas while we're recording? What are you doing? Uh, of course. That's what. I, that's how I'm getting, getting comfy. Okay. <laughs> Just need a little nappy poo, I, I suppose. It's only ten fifteen here, so I got to... it. This, this week was extra uh, exhausting. It was. Extra. I I know we started the show with it, but this week was, it was something else. It was a doozy. It was a that's that's a good anything anybody we should call right now. <laughs> there are people I'd love to call at one fifteen in the morning,
3: uh, <laughs> but I think we hold off. You know,
2: some of them might not be one fifteen where they are.
3: That is true that is true. I'd love to prank somebody we should I have some pranking ideas we're gonna have to hold off but I have some good ones. I got a
2: number you could call <laughs> who <laughs> didn't didn't a friend of ours um against everybody's suggestion decide to have a baby this week yeah Sarah yeah. Rivette birthed out her child Tim right Timothy something or other. Isn't that, what we were <laughs> gonna, isn't that what we decided on for her? The name for the baby, it was Hannah. 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 That's right. Hannah. Hannah Renee. Renee. Hannah
3: Renee. Hannah Renee. Hannah Renee. And you know, honestly, she's way too calm right now, Sarah. So, which is interesting. We were actually going to tape while you were gone. We were going to tape an episode, but we didn't <laughs> do it because she went to the flew went to the hospital and then. Was was discharged and right. then like two days later gave birth.
2: Right, I remember you telling me like we were going to record and then she went into labor but didn't go into labor. They sent her home. Right, and exactly. Two, and then two days later we get you and I get a message. Yeah, we're having a baby. <laughs> this one's for Speak, real. Speaking of going into labor,
3: <sighs> Rosie O'Donnell. I don't know. <laughs> that's, I there's don't, no, connection. I, there's no connection. I don't think she's. I don't think she's pregnant. <laughs> no. I just had I had to go for it. I had yeah. no connections. I, my mind is officially gone. I have nothing left to offer. Here. So let's
2: let's end with let's end with this fun little story, and then I'll let you go, sleepy. pie Okay. What were we going to say about this? What's the story? <laughs> oh, she's going oh, yeah, after
3: yeah, yeah, Trump
2: yeah. again. She can't leave well enough alone. Trump already. Trump brought already, up in a debate. Yeah, well, he brought, she was brought up in a debate. Remember, Megyn Kelly asked about, you know, you've called women pigs, right? And so he was, which is a reference to his previous criticism about Rosie O'Donnell, called, O'Donnell calling her a pig. Which, I'm not Stop. sure. I'm not sure. <laughs> Stop. You could pick things, bad things that he has said about various people. I'm not sure that that's the one I'd key on. Key, key in on.
0: There are I mean, far worse things he said than
2: right. that. <laughs> there are far um, worse things he said about less unpleasant people. <laughs> don't you have a relationship with with Rosie? in
3: 2013, she followed me on Twitter. oh um and We started uh. direct messaging in 2013 and actually like you know, it started out like what do I believe? what do I believe about God? And I responded and I won't get into all the details so of why here, did, but, we, but why did she
2: tap you about that on direct message?
3: You know, I don't remember. I may have noticed that she had followed me back or something and so I reached out to her and okay. then she responded and, and she kind of went there with it okay. you know and, and and we had good dialogues we actually talked about getting together because she didn't she doesn't live very far from where I live um, to debate and talk about different issues
2: right. and we started emailing after that and I'm actually, and all of this was email. private communications this isn't stuff that was on no. Twitter that people saw right?
3: No, there were a couple of things that were public where I actually defended her once. A good friend of mine um, called her a name and said something that I thought was wrong. And she called me out and said, this person's your friend. Are oh, really? you going to stand for that? And I said, no, you shouldn't have said it. You know, And my friend was fine with that and, and said, you're right, I shouldn't have and apologized to her. Um, but to It wasn't me, by the, the way no it was not you um most of this it was private communication and very nice good community she would send me pictures of her kid i would send her pictures of ava um you know <laughs> chris was, <laughs> is laughing because um, that's what I, I want that's what i want is daily personal communications with rosie O'Donnell. well it wasn't daily but it was every once in a while and really the goal i thought was you know this would be a really interesting person to talk to sure, we don't absolutely. agree and let's right. have a dialogue right. um then I noticed last summer that she blocked me on Twitter and oh, it was during the um, gay cake debate, you know, and, uh, I, and I emailed her and I said, hey, you know, I saw that you blocked me on Twitter when I tried to reach out. What happened? Um, and her response, which I'm looking at right now is you probably tweeted something so offensive to my soul that I clicked you off. That's usually why I block people. Self protection. Carry on. XXX X, X, Rosie. Snowflake. Um, and I thought that was
2: strange, her and I said, we've well, had a good
3: dialogue, you know, I don't get it.
2: Her protection? I do things like that for my protection? How is 140 characters on Twitter from Billy, the faith editor, does not blocking that does not protect you from anything? If I'm not making a sharp joke, I'm sending a Bible verse out. Like, how
3: offensive could I possibly be?
2: Right, but even, um, if, even if you said horrible, nasty things about her and her kids, how is it protecting her to block you? I don't know. I found it
3: strange because there was no reason for it, right? It was like I mean, um, we had had these kind conver- never on the phone, but we had had these back and forths. Um it's just weird. It was very weird. And, hey, look, I would totally talk to her. I'd have her on the Absolutely. show. Absolutely. I'd love to. But that was our last communication last summer. We haven't communicated since, and which is fine. Um, I'll email her at some point again. And she never responded to my response of, hey, we've had a good dialogue. I don't really get it. Um, but happy Merry Christmas. I mean, I don't, I don't understand.
2: <laughs> so, um, so yeah, you know. so she's back in the news because she's taking, She's screaming at Donald Trump again. And she's in this some interview. She had she an had interview with Rita Cosby or somebody. Yeah, Rita Cosby. Some, yeah.
3: some poor soul who <laughs> will will probably be blocked after. No, look, I I I wanted to have that dialogue yeah. with her. I really did, I, and I still and I still would. But what are you gonna do? Uh, let's see if we can get RuPaul on. We talked about that a long time ago. Yeah, I would like to get RuPaul on. I'd
2: love to. Love I think
3: to. I think it would be really uh, the best way for you to find stardom in you know, a bigger stardom than this show I would know. be going on his on his drag race. Oh, I you think I wouldn't? I think you would with your stilettos. I do.
2: All right. <laughs> My chub rub. <laughs> yeah, you you definitely would oh, have your I would chub be, rub. Yeah, I'd be hurting. I'd have to have a whole lot of Bordeaux's butt paste with me. You would. You would. This uh, show has devolved. Yeah, it completely. has. It has. It's just falling apart because we're both getting sleepy. I, got, I still got to edit this I'm actually this thing falling asleep be- sitting be- here. Before we can post this, I have to go back now through and edit and clean it up and... Um, insert commercials and things so i've got a little work ahead of me so actually sounds miserable that'll be all right the more i do here in my office editing stuff the less i have to interact with my family that's terrible you know how nice it was to get back to work (laughs) from disneyland yeah i'm sure it was (laughs) so nice to get back to work from disneyland (laughs) so so let me say this to you on here on mic so that's being recorded send me the mckinnon audio so that i can embed this
0: God, you're so annoying.
2: All right, all right. So, uh, any any words of wisdom for the people out there, Billy?
3: Eat your Cheerios
2: <laughs> and stay off the
0: rascal. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'm serious though. Go out and walk down the street and follow just some fatty Arbuckle and watch their shorts. It's like they really have like issues with fat people. It's, and it's those like who, the, are it's like who are,
3: like I they're... mean, I'm t- I'm a fat person, but it's like idea. their body
2: consumes their clothing. It's really fascinating. Oh, you're hellbound. <laughs>
0: The Church Boys.